It is, um, it's very good to see everyone this morning. You know, I was curious with the title, Grace and Depression, who's going to come to this? Um, uh, you know, and so if you feel like you're marked, um, don't. Uh, what I'm gonna, one of the things I'm going to try to do is not make everybody depressed before they leave, which is somewhat odd because I think listening to myself often when I teach, sort of outside of myself, which is going to be part of the theme of this class, uh, sometimes as I'm talking, I will sit sort of in the, in the seat so to speak, hearing myself talk, and I think, wow, man, I would just be so depressed if I heard Bill Cracky teach sometime. So now I'm actually thinking, you know, okay, don't, don't depress these poor people, you know, give them, give them a word, I hope. So let's pray. Gracious and Heavenly Father, for this day we give you great and humble thanks. I do pray, Lord, that you would be with us now as we think about um, your word um, for all of us, uh, uh, no matter what sort or condition we find ourselves. Um, but for those who may know someone who is struggling with this particular dis-ease, depression, or who themselves have, have, uh, have battled it before or in the midst of it, um, speak, Lord, and unclog our ears and loosen our tongue. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so Frank, who can't be here today, oh, oh by the way, an uh, uh, announcement. Next week here at this uh, lectern at this podium is the Reverend Richard Buse. Um, we have the privilege, in fact, of hosting him. Richard Buse is the past rector of uh, All Souls Langham Place in London, um, the post previously held by John Stott, um, one of the most famous evangelicals, in fact, the man who many credit being the architect of evangelicalism um, as, a, as an ism. Uh, John Stott was his predecessor once removed, if that makes sense, at All Souls Langham Place, and Richard Buse is a, a, a very... Um, affective and effective cleric in the Church of England, and he's coming here to Birmingham to be a part, um, to preach, in fact, at, Rich, at, a, at Timothy George's request, the Dean of Beeson Divinity School, to preach at their commemoration service, the service that commemorates the see Mark, um, commemorating their 25th anniversary. Is that right, Mark? Um, and Richard will be preaching there next Tuesday, and, uh, and, and we have him here to teach the Dean's class next, um, it'll be Tuesday a week, and Richard Hughes will be here teaching the dean's class next um, next Sunday, so it's a it's a real treat for us. And as we sometimes like to say, anybody from Scotland or Ireland or England, um, we're all we the other preachers and teachers here um, are jealous of them because they have about 20 minutes where everybody just listens to them automatically, just because they sound cool. And so, you know, he's got that, and then he has about 10 minutes of content, and he'd be have a, he'd have great class. So, but, but we'll have more than 10 minutes of content. It'll be, it'll be an exceptional offering. So today, Frank asked me, who uh, Frank can't be here today, he asked me some months ago, in fact, to, to think about doing a class on grace and depression, and I was happy to do it. Um, it's something I do work with often. Um, the primary word, I guess I would say, if I had a word that I would hope you would walk away remembering is depression uh, Depression affects people. Depression affects, in fact, most people at some point in their life. That's a statistical word. I would even say, you know, with only possibly maybe the smallest bit of hyperbole, and I really don't think this is a hyperbolic statement, depression affects every single person who ever lived by at least one degree of separation. In other words, if you don't personally experience depression, somebody in your circle is probably going to experience what we would, what we would uh, 
probably be able to call, without any exaggeration um, whatsoever, depression. Uh, so it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Um, and depression is not um, the word I hope you would remember. It's not a mark of being a second-tiered Christian. Becoming a Christian does not make you immune from depression. Um, we'll look at some scripture uh, as well as a little bit of the Christian history. And that a cursory glance, the most cursory of glances in the scriptures or in the Christian tradition should give us ample uh, fodder to realize that depression, this thing we call depression, uh, in, in no ways puts us at a, a second tier. You could easily turn it around and say, well, if my word, if Charles Spurgeon struggled with it, if John Calvin struggled with it, if, uh, if Martin Luther struggled with it, if David struggled with it, if Elijah struggled with it, dot, 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 then, um, well, well, gosh, maybe I'm at a disadvantage because they had access to something that I didn't. Now, we're not going to invite depression um, to come visit our houses, but, but it's there. Um, so I hope, I hope that alone will give us permission, license, freedom. There's the word I'm groping for, freedom, to be able to say, look, depression happens to people, and Christians are people. When you become a Christian, you don't become sort of another, you know, what genus, phylum, species, or whatever it is. You don't sort of become something other than homo sapiens. Uh, this is endemic to us, and it's a reflection of original sin. Depression happens to people, and Christians are people. So that's the word when we weave in and out of that. A very simple word. Weave in and out of that throughout the morning, I hope. I also hope to, to leave plenty of time for some, some Q&A in this particular area, um, in this area in particular. Um, so some common myths that I want to just highlight to begin with um, in this idea that Christians are people and people get depressed. Uh, I hear this in different ways frequently in, my, uh, in the privilege that I have of being with people. Um, and by the way, the title of the class, the subtitle of the class, Voices, I Hear Voices, I, 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 I did that with a little bit of trepidation. I thought, eh, maybe I shouldn't do that. I don't want to, make, don't want to be seen as being make, make, make light of depression or anything else. Um, but, you know, there's that, that song. I don't even remember who sang it. It's in 1984. People my age are going to remember this like it was yesterday. Voices, I hear voices. Y'all remember that song? Who sang that song? Somebody is going to come forward and say, I know it was an English band. Don't look back yet. Y'all don't know this song? Good night. I mean, where is a 40-year-old in the room who doesn't know? I can't believe y'all. I'm really disappointed. So, um, the, the way I'm going with that, that song was Spencer Leffel. I mean, come on. Um, uh, that song uh, was in my head, um, but the way forward is going to be out of Psalm 42. Um, and we're going to see that. It's actually a good biblical idea to be able to develop this second voice in your head, to be able to speak back to the voice which right now has the monologue that's always, always, always present. Whether you know it or not, and some of us are very aware of the voice in our head, and some good, robust theology would help us there. Out of the Reformation, lex simpler accusans. The law always accuses, and we have the accuser all too readily apparent. We need to develop that voice as the psalmist do, as the Apostle Paul did, um, to speak to, that, um, to that, that singular voice, that voice of accusation. Uh, and so that's the voices that we're trying to go with. So as a bridge, I hear this a lot in my work, in my practice. Um, either uh, somebody uh, has a group around them, um, maybe it's a Bible study group, a small group, their family 
um, some bad books, somebody, some group of people who are serving as Job's counselors to them. Who were Job's counselors? The three, three men who came alongside Job in his tribulation amidst his depression uh, and gave, uh, at best, some half-truth advice, um, at worst, some really awful counsel. Uh, and they, they, they fed his context. They fed his brain with voices that, that needed a second voice. And luckily, the Lord himself speaks to Job in, uh, in Psalm 38, in Job 38 um, forward. Uh, but Job's counselors, a lot of us have Job's counselors, the burden of having to bear Job's counselors around us. And so you may have those feeding some of these lines, or you may have it in yourself. Um, you serving uh, adequately is, you know, pleased to meet you. I hope you guess my name. My name is Legion. Um, and I'm, I'm not just one, but many voices in my head. And I've got all these different voices coming around, giving myself really awful counsel, telling myself half-truths or whole lies, one or the other. And these are some of them. Um, and it could talk about, we're talking about depression, but this could be any number of things. I mean, so you could fill in blanks with all sorts of other things, not just sort of clinical diagnoses of mental health, but, but all sorts of different things. Some of these voices, some of these statements, um, uh, well, if you're depressed, that means you must have a spiritual issue. Um, if you're depressed, are you sure you're saved? I hear this pretty frequently, in fact. Are you sure you're saved? Is there a sin in your life? There must be a sin in your life that you're not aware of or that you're holding back on, that you're not confessing. Um, are you walking in the Spirit? This is the Job's counselors that are trying to come forward and, uh, and, and help, quote-unquote, I'm not supposed to feel like this, I tell myself, implying this perspective, that Christians are not people, that somehow once I become a Christian, I shouldn't struggle with this. I should be somewhere else. You hear the should, the ought, the must? That's the law. That's lex semper accusans. You should be somewhere else. You should be past this. Why are you still struggling with this? This isn't what you should be dealing with. That was your dad, da, 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 da. And you can hear it just boom, boom, boom. The heartbeat goes on. Um, God must be trying to tell you something, and you're not listening. I hear that all the time. Um, Jesus should be all I need. I hear that amidst, I just need Jesus. I shouldn't need medication. I shouldn't need to do this counseling stuff. Once I became a Christian, Jesus should be all I need. Um, that's what Mary Baker Eddy thought. And so if you want to join her rank and think that in sort of a spiritual way to hyper-spiritualize um, a real, intangible dis-ease, and we'll say more about that in a moment, um, you could go there, but, but you wouldn't be a Christian. I want to put it that way. You'd be something else. Um, uh, if you take medication, uh, if I take medication, I won't be able to feel what God wants me to feel. Or I won't be able to hear Him talking to me. Or I'll become numb to God. That's a half-truth. That's a whole lie, in fact, uh, that a lot of people fear. Um, as they, they, they begin to battle with this, this thing of depression. Is God calling you? Is God calling me to do something? But you're resisting His will. You hear that burden? It's just being laid on these folks. Um, and if you're focusing on yourself, that's why you're depressed. You need to focus on God. Just turn right and get right with God. Um, people offer this again and again and again. In summary... Job's counselors will offer, if you're depressed, you need to get right with God, find out where your sin is, and in the meanwhile, just fake it until you make it and get on with life. Because what you need is faith, and faith has no room for depression or anxiety or hypertension or, you know, 
uh, a nondescript pain or diabetes or anything else. And that's just wrong. That's just wrong. You can hear me. If there's nothing else that comes out of this class, just to hear that, that, that as I threw that in, we, 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 we don't place high blood pressure or a diabetic condition or the fact that I'm relying, quote-unquote, on anesthesia before I go into surgery as, and equating that somehow with a moral failure or a moral weakness that I need, um, I need that kind of medication. I need an Advil for a headache. Most of us don't, don't condemn ourselves or another person for that. Um, uh, and oftentimes that condemnation comes with, uh, with depression. So um, just eight days ago, people would be familiar with this in the news, Rick Warren, there's a lot to be said for Rick Warren, um, the, the man who wrote A Purpose Driven Life, which kind of had its um, more than a heyday. I mean, it was sort of a paradigm shifter for a season in the evangelical church. He's probably 10, 12, 14 years old now. Um, but Rick Warren, the pastor at Saddleback Church, his son committed suicide. Um, people would have heard of this uh, just eight days ago. Um, and Rick Warren wrote a very heartfelt and short, appropriately brief, I think, letter saying, you know, it's with great sorrow that I'm telling you, the staff of Saddleback, that, that Matthew took his life. Um, and he played, provided just a little bit of context. And here's, here's where it was. As many of you know, Matthew struggled with um, mental illness for years, probably depression. He didn't say what it was in the letter. Uh, but it was a great way to go because we had spent an absolutely perfect day together. Um, we had spent the whole day together. And then he went home and he took his own life with a gun. Um, now, what I highlight there is uh, two things. Christians aren't immune. Um, uh, right up to, to you know, a pastor's son. In some ways, maybe more likely. You look at PK syndrome um, and the difficulties therein. Preacher's kid syndrome. Um, but, but he wasn't immune. And he had spent a great day with his family. And then he went home and in a fit of depression, in a, uh, in a wave um, on an impulse, it would seem, he took his own life. And that's the way it often happens. That's how suicide often creeps up. Um, so it's right there. Um, many of us, I think, if, uh, especially in a group this size, in the back of your head, we're thinking of, of, of people in our own families, um, either directly or, or one or two degrees removed, that something similar probably happened. If not suicide, then something pretty similar. Um, and so it's, it's right there. Um, let's look at some text. Here's one that I'd mention. Great Psalm, Psalm 42. Um, this is the development of the second voice. Well, we're going to read this psalm, and this is an excerpt from it. It's not the whole psalm. Uh, but it's like there are two people in the room, and the, 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 the hope, voices I hear voices, my hope is from this little offering, uh, let's develop that second voice. I think Mark Mattis, uh, a theologian who's been here before to preach um, maybe three years ago in the Lenten surface, services, I think he's the one who's credited for saying this. God is so for us as our defender that he is against himself as his accuser. Let me say that again and see if I can tie it into Psalm 42. God is so for us as, his def as, as our defender. That's the gospel. God is so for us as our defender that he is against himself as, his, as our accuser. And so we're going to hear this voice of accusation, which sometimes is God. You know, that's the thing in those, those half-truths that I read earlier. Um, it is sometimes true that I'm depressed, that you're depressed, that somebody you know is depressed, quote-unquote, because there's something in their life that they did. 
And it's the old-fashioned pang of conscience or what we call conviction of sin. And that's a good, right, and holy thing. It's the purpose of the law. It's the right purpose of the law to bring us to an awareness of the way things actually are. Things like myself and the world to bring us to clarity to see, yes, Gil, you know, this didn't happen, but use them as an example, just create one on the fly. What if... um. If I was given to be the trustee, for instance, of my father's um, uh, estate and, and pilfered some money, whether in a you know, single time, embezzled, or over a period of years, pilfered some money off of that, some money we had set aside for, his, uh, for, for, for you know, the time he was going to be in assisted living one day, and I pilfered it, and, and I started to grow more and more depressed. Uh, well, if, if, if that happened and I never told my siblings and I'm guilty, behold the man, yeah, that could be a real and tangible thing. But other times, it's not the way depression works out. So it's both. It's both sometimes um, a whole truth. Yeah, you've got a conviction of sin. You did it. Um, Sometimes it's just something else. But God is always, in both cases, God is always so for us as our defender that he is against himself as his accuser. So let's read Psalm 42 and and develop a little bit of context to that. Um, And a lot of us will know this psalm. It's a pretty well-known psalm. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have become food. My tears have been my food day and night. While they say, while my tears say to me all the day long, Where is your God? So here's the accusation. And then the second voice emerges. Why are you so cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And the first voice. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Second voice. Why are you so cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And then a second psalm, Psalm 88, um, very similar. O Lord, my God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. So the psalm opens and there is no ambiguity. He, He believes in God. He knows God. He knows who God is as his salvation. Um, and he knows his position beneath him. I cry out day and night to you. But then the psalm continues. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all of your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Isn't that a great line? Do you work wonders for the dead? O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death for my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. 
You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. Or, um, and the, the translators allow this alternate um, ending, or um, the darkness has become my only companion. It's the title of a book, in fact, that we carry in our bookstore. These are just two examples from the Psalms. Uh, whatever each of the psalmists here are struggling with, it's plainly something that we would recognize as depression. It's plainly something that a lot of us who struggled with depression ourselves or have watched somebody we love struggle with depression would say, that's it. That's it. Do you not give counsel to the dead? Um, Do you not work wonders for the dead? I am as a dead man, um, unable to do anything to get up, even to get up and go to the bathroom. Um, I am so... Uh, aware of what feels like your heaviness and your wrath upon me. It reaches into my bones. Uh, All I have is darkness. It has become my only companion. I mean, just evoking from our souls that pathos, that suffering. Um, So what do we do with this? Where do we go? Um, We we can take some hope from the the Christian tradition um, as early as Uh, And it was far before this, in fact. But Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan's great work, which many of us would note, uh, a famous passage, what he would call the slew of despond, where where one of his companions would ask uh, Christian along the way, Sir, wherefore, or the old way we said why, Sir, why, since over this place is the way from the city of destruction to yonder gate, why is it that this plat, this place, is not mended, that poor travelers might go thither, to the, to the gate of the, the, the heavenly city, might go there with more security. And Christian answers, And he saith unto me, This miry slough is such a place as cannot be mended. It is the descent whither the scum and filth that attends conviction for sin doth, doth continually run. And therefore it is called the slough of despond. For still, as the sinner is awakened about his lost condition, there arise in his soul many fears and doubts and discouraging apprehensions which all of them get together and settle in this place. And this is the reason for the badness of this ground. Um, it's here, through Bunyan, through the psalmist, through others, that we can take some comfort and solace and say, well, I'm not alone. And that helps. That helps. I mean, just at a, at a, a practical level, if you want to look at treatment uh, of, 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 say, depression, Um, The sense of isolation is overwhelming. My only companion is darkness. Darkness is my only friend. The badness of the ground prevents me from taking a step anywhere, and it also prevents anyone from taking a step towards me. I am untouchable. I am completely and utterly alone. It's one of the marks, in fact, of a significant depression. Um, amongst the many, let me just give a list. Um, I mentioned some of them. Job, Elijah. Elijah. Remember the great story of Elijah and the priest of Baal where he, um, he challenged the priest, I think there were 40 of them, to a duel. And he says, why don't we do this? Look, you get your priest and I'll get you get your God and I'll get my God and we'll just see who can do something cooler. And so, you know, Let's let's make a let's call on our gods to pull fire down from heaven and, and, and burn all of this pile of trees. And then okay, let's do that. And whoever loses dies. That was the, that was the agreement. Um, and so the priest of Baal, they uh, they try it all, and they go night and day, and it won't work. And uh, and they're cutting themselves, and and, uh, and and Elijah's taunting him, saying, maybe he's asleep. Yell a little bit louder. You know, hit yourselves harder. Just kind of going on and on and on. Very sarcastic. It's a great little passage. Um, and they didn't make it. They couldn't do it. Um, but, of course, uh, Elijah pulls, 
uh, calls down on for for uh, for uh, I don't know which is it Yahweh it would be Jehovah Jireh I'm not sure which part of the nature of God but he calls on God after he says look let's double it up let's get twice as much and let's let's cover it with water three times let's make it really 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 hard just to show the power of our God the living God the one true God and true to form of course God comes through and uh, 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 and consumes all of the the fire and as well as the water besides and then and then uh, and Elijah goes and kills all the priests of Baal. The next day, the next day, the scripture says, um, "Let me find my place." Um, that he went away to himself and sat down, and he asked that he might die. He was depressed. He just found such isolation that he wanted to remove himself from everybody else sat down under a particular tree and pleaded, you know, take my life, God. I don't want to live anymore. I'm done. And it wasn't sort of a, I'm finished. My race is over. Um, uh, you're, you're through with your servant. You know, take me to your glory. It wasn't that. It was a darkness of spirit, a heaviness, an oppression of spirit. And he pleaded with God, take, take my life. After the success, often comes a depression. C.S. Lewis said the same thing. I'm never so unsure of myself as on the day after I have successfully, quote-unquote, defended the point. That was what Lewis had said. Um, he also, amongst the many saints that would do that, John Calvin, um, Georg Handel, John Wesley, William Cooper, William Blake, Martin Luther, who once said, For more than a week I was close to the gates of death and hell. I trembled, and all of my members' Christ was wholly lost. Um, and then Charles Spurgeon, um, a sermon, a whole sermon that he preached, up here in it, and you can find this readily online, like all of them. I recommend it. It's a short, it's accessible, called The Minister's Feigning Fits. It says, as to mental maladies, is there any man that's altogether sane? Are we not a little off the balance, he said? I love that line. Um, and he said this, um, as it is recorded that David in the heat of battle waxed faint, so may it be written that all the servants of the Lord, so it may be written of all the servants of the Lord. Fits of depression come over most of us. Usually cheerful as we may be, we must at intervals be cast down. The strong are not always vigorous, the wise not always ready, the brave not always courageous, the joyous not always happy. There may be here and there men of iron to whom wear and tear work no perceptible detriment, but surely the rust frets even these. And as for ordinary men, a little bit of tongue-in-cheek there, and as for ordinary men, the Lord knows and makes them to know that they are but dust. Knowing by most painful experience what deep depression of spirit means, being visited therewith at seasons by no means few or far between, I thought, and here's a good word for our class, just a very short class, I thought it might be, where is my word? I thought it might be consolatory to some of my brethren if I gave my thoughts thereon that younger men might not fancy that some strange thing has happened to them when they become for a season possessed by melancholy or depression, and that sadder men might know that one upon whom the sun has shone right joyously did not always walk in the light. Isn't that a great last line? That those who haven't yet been there might know that when it comes, for it surely shall, that you might not think, oh, all is lost. This slew of despond means that I'm so utterly alone that I can now forever again be untouchable. Surely I have this, this. I must have the sin of the Holy Spirit, and and God has now struck me from His record book. I hear that a lot too. Um, to take some consolation, a consolatory word, if you've not yet tasted this heaviness of spirit, 
that, that all is not lost when it does come. And if you have had it in your life, to take also some consolation that one upon whom the Son has shown right joyously, Spurgeon himself, did not always walk in the light, that he too has walked through and come out of some really deep and dark times. It's a good word. It's a helpful word. Um, I'm not going to take time and go through you know, some of the marks of depression. I think we would know those. Um, uh, depressed mood, lack of pleasure, depleted energy, etc., and so forth. Uh, there's all sorts of reasons um, that people become depressed. Put them on. I'm realizing presence a lot of physicians, so look for some nods here, or some changes. I mean, it could be um, purely medical, biological, genetic. Um, most of them have overlapping parts, and they begin to play with each other. Uh, could be psychological, what we would call, you know, like you know, really uh, poor beliefs or a, 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 a dysfunctional affective system where feelings or thoughts or beliefs are betraying you, and it's playing out in sort of a heaviness of spirit, a darkness of soul, as it's sometimes called. Could be situational or social. The example I gave earlier: if you're caught embezzling funds from your family, and you know you did it, but everybody else is still sort of no worse for the wear. Um, that could be one. Um, uh, other situational, social factors, family dynamics, all sorts of things. And then also spiritual. Just the very fact that God is sometimes so for you as your defender, that he's against himself as your accuser, he, uh, he often brings a depression for a season in order to draw you closer to him. Now, that's a hard word. Um, but sometimes that's the root. And that has a then a play into the biological factors. I mean, there's all sorts of interplay that goes there. I'm not going to say too much about that um, for the sake of time, but, but the four axes, you might say. Um, let me find a, a way towards an end, and we can ask some questions. Um, one thing um, I'd like to extend today, I'm going to try to speak quickly to this, is to help others gain some understanding about depression, whether it's your own or somebody else's, um, because it's not rational. And anybody who has struggled with, with depression or, or, or any other sort of malady like that knows that at the, from the beginning of the, from the get-go, the fight has never been fair. It's never been fair. The, stack, the, 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 the deck is stacked against you from the beginning. And that's what makes it hard. It makes it hard for other people to, to watch and, and they think, you know, well, surely he must just know that if he would just get out of bed and go to the doctor and get a pill and do what he's telling him to do, that he's going to feel better. And what this betrays is a really inadequate view of sin because it puts sin in the category of education or instruction. Look, I've told him a thousand times that what he needs to do is this, 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 and this. And if he would just do it, he would get better. Now, that would be 100% true. But you see, the operation of depression, like so much of life, whether it's depression or working with someone who's chronically early or chronically late or chewing their fingernails or, you know, having a really, you know, you come up against the wall in marriage again and again and again and again and again, or really he does or she does or whatever else. It's not a matter of instruction or education. It's not a rational, it's a sub-rational operation that's going on. And to remember that. And some of the worst offenders to this, if you've ever been around someone, let's take biting your fingernails as an example. If you struggle with biting your fingernails and you, by, um, by really, really unfortunate circumstance, 
happen to bring that up in conversation and you happen to be near somebody who two weeks ago, quote unquote, quit biting their fingernails, it's one of the worst people to be around. Suddenly they know what it takes to stop biting your fingernails. And they're going to tell you exactly what to do. If you would do this, you'll also be with me, the enlightened, up here. You know. and, and it could be the same with depression. If you're near somebody as you're depressed and you've just come out and you're near somebody who's just come out, not always, sometimes they can be the most helpful people. Uh, but oftentimes, they're the worst of Job's counselors. Look, I was right there two weeks ago, and I know exactly what you need to do because this is how it happened. That was kind of a digression. I don't know where that came from. But this whole idea... That the fight has never been fair. Um, give him a break. Um, get out of yourself. Talk to yourself in a Psalm 42 sense. And remember, look, sin is so much deeper than instruction and education. I have my own ways, uh, you know, my own habits, whether it's biting the fingernails or, you know, having a glass of wine, which comes three, which becomes five, you know, most, okay, every, you know, whatever. Um, uh, step outside yourself and, and give yourself the same instruction and you're going to find that, well, it's complicated for me. Well, it's complicated for them too. It's not just as easy as um, stop it. Just quit being depressed. Just get up and go. If you would just get up, this is stupid that you're in the bed again all day, every day, um, uh, and just stop. Uh, it's, not, it's not instruction. It's not education that's needed. It's something a little bit more. So what's this little bit more? Martin Lloyd-Jones, find our end here. Um, he was a physician who then became a minister and had a, a post also in London. We've got two of his books. Um, this one is called Spiritual Depression, Its Cause and Cure. It's a good book. It's not a great book. It's a good book. If you like J.I. Packer and his kind of dense writing style, you'll really like Martin Lloyd-Jones's book. So I recommend it. And we have a new book that I've not read, um, just in our inventory uh, uh, biography of his life. And so if, if you're interested in the idea of a physician becoming a minister, you know, uh, the biography of Martin Lloyd-Jones would be good. And he said this once, very similar to what I said at the beginning with Psalm 42. We must talk to ourselves. This is whether you're suffering from depression or you're wondering, how can I help somebody with depression and try to get into that sub-rationality of it, really understanding that the fight is not fair. We must talk to ourselves instead of allowing ourselves, quote-unquote, to talk to us. You are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself. That sounds like he's not making sense at the first. But what's happening, he says, is we're listening to ourselves rather than talking to ourselves. Who are we listening to? We're listening to that first voice, the voice that always accuses, the voice that's always critical, the voice that's always pulling us down. And we must learn how to talk to ourselves. We must learn that it's not a rational and fair fight, but something else entirely is going on. We need to learn to preach the gospel, in other words, to ourselves, because the gospel is always an external word. And that's the word we're going to end on here and look some Romans. The, the gospel always being an external word, where for so many of us, we're so far too familiar with the law and its accusation being an internal word from Romans 2.15, that the law which is written on all of our hearts, it's in us. Again, it's original to us. That's the original sin. We don't need to increase the law for most of us. We're so palpably aware of it because I shave it every morning. I wake up to it every, uh, every morning. I, I take it to bed with me every single night. The law is always with me. But the gospel always remains outside of me. 
and to hear that word that Christ is the end of the law for all who believe. That's a word of hope for those who are struggling with depression or anything else. And that's a good word um, to bring out, say, in, in these two verses in Romans, hopefully some of the ones that are so ingrained in our, in our souls, those of us who at least come here, it's one of my prayers for, for Adventers, they would know reflexively Romans 5, 8 and the end of Romans 8. This external word which is always um, speaking back to in that Psalm 42 sense, the word which is always there internal, we need this external word, this word of hope um, that in fact does work a wonder on the dead because it's a resurrecting and vivifying word. But God shows his love for us in this. Uh, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, whether a sinner that, yes, I did it. I'm stealing money from my brother and my sister, and I think I'm depressed because of it, and I'm seeing that more and more often. Or I'm a sinner because I live in this broken world where entropy is the law that rules the, 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 the world, and things are breaking down, and I need help. The word that God shows his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then this great word from Romans 8. And in either of the litanies, you know, what shall separate us from the love of God in Christ? Shall nakedness, famine, peril, sword, or depression, or anything else in all creation? I tell you, no. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? What can be against us? Even depression. Even himself. Uh, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? That accusation that keeps coming. It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God, from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, famine or nakedness or danger or sword, depression? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long and we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation, much less yourself, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's the external word, the external voice, which is given to us to always engage the internal voice, which is far, 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 far too familiar to, to each and every one of us. Depressed or not, um, it's our word of hope. So let me hit pause. Um, I wanted to end about four minutes earlier, but I didn't. Um, any comments or, or uh, questions? Gil, first of all, thank you for your ministry. I mean, the lives that you've touched and the people that love them are, it's remarkable. So thank you for that. But the other thing is um, we had a, a friend that, um, that had depression and took his life. And I hate to use that expression because it's something that Frank said in his um, homily at his service. And he said that depression, I mean, that, that he did not uh, take his life, that depression did. And that was always so, that's always been a comfort hmm. to me and a lot of people. Amen. Put that in the litany of Romans 8. I would even say, 
Well, no, it, it shouldn't be contentious. Um, I speak pretty strongly on this. And the suicidal question, what happens to those who've, 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 who've killed themselves at their own hand? Shall, what shall separate us from the love of God in Christ? Shall, that's why I threw out there at the end, uh, shall famine, nakedness, peril, sword, nor anything else in all creation, much less myself, just because it was my last act. It's a carryover from an old Roman idea that suicide is an unpardonable sin because I didn't have a chance to confess or whatever else. And it's wrong. It's just wrong. It's a harmful word. It's an unbiblical word. It's an injurious word. And I, I, I stand against it with everything that I am. Um, and, and that's the enemy. The enemy took his life. It wasn't, he didn't take his life. Um, I believe that. Depression can be so. Matthew uh, Warren plainly was battling an enemy, a principality in power here. Uh, we, we're, we're no match, but God is. Thanks be to God. He's bigger than anything. Gil, counselors often talk about negative, the negative self-talk loop or that sort of talk, and you're talking, I hear voices. Are, are, those, are we on the same vein? Are those just different yeah. ways of talking about the same thing? Or we, is there something we are. The there? negative self-loop is, is sort of a monologue, I want to say, um, because it's a loop. It just keeps repeating itself, and it has no external input. And so stinking thinking and all those other things, cognitive behavioral therapy, which is a good mode of therapy, um, we are in the same vein. We, want, we need another voice besides those voices. That was kind of the play on word. That's not enough. You're not going to think yourself out of depression. You're not going to think yourself out of an addiction. You're not going to think yourself out of anything. Remember, it's sub-rational. And so we need, we need an external word. Um, and we need that extra voice, which is the full, perfect, and sufficient voice to do battle. So that is right. Yep. You often hear that um, especially that last line, kind of a hang in there. God is with you. You will succeed. But I'm not so sure about that. And, and the other one is that you're growing stronger through yeah. your repeated failure. Yeah. Can you comment on that? I can. I appreciate it very much you bringing that up. Um, in that, in that Kant, that which doesn't kill you will make you stronger. Is that Kant? Um, it's wrong. It's in a song right now. Who sings that song? Keisha or something? Um, I heard it. We were driving around. No kidding. I mean, it's out there right now. And I was like, what in the world? It's not true. It's not true. Sometimes that which doesn't kill you almost kills you. <laughs> you know, it doesn't make you stronger. I and mean, it's like, this isn't any better. This is, this is much, much worse, in fact. Um, and that's true. So, so that's the second part of your very good question. Um, no. It's not like you're getting stronger and you know, the Lord's giving you this and you wouldn't do it if you couldn't. You know, First Corinthians, Second Corinthians, First Corinthians 10, the Lord doesn't give any temptation. It's common to man. It doesn't also provide a way out. I do believe that. I do believe that. It's a hard verse for me to believe, but I do. Um, to the other, hang in there. Hang. I th- I'm not a big fan of that sort of rah, 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 rah. Um, AA and all of its peripheral wisdom of just for today. Um, Lord... Uh, I'm alive today. Today, my daily bread. I don't know what tomorrow is, but just for the day, I, just for the hour, this is another part of um, Spurgeon's conclusion, and he says that here in the... I don't have enough time for me to look. Um, first part of the third paragraph. Live by the day, I by the hour. Put no trust in frames or feelings. Um, it's, a, it's a naked and radical trust. And there's more to it than that. That then becomes treatment when you have other people around. To, uh, to be voices, but 
Um, it's not just a hang in there, it's going to get better. I, I, I can't say that either. There's more to the, I'm sorry. Keep trying. Yeah, even there. Yeah, you know, certainly some try, some effort, but um, people are really depressed. For me to call and wrap up, for me to call on more effort doesn't help. Not at the very beginning, anyway. Let's talk afterwards um, and see something. And there's, 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 there's a lot more to say, and I just didn't manage our time. So let me, um, let me ask a blessing. Lord, um, bless us and keep us. Make your face to shine upon us and grant us peace, especially where there is disease. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.